we've had our blunt. That's time to go into business. Yes, sir. On the show today, we have the one and only Mr. Tahir, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Tahir Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. Tahir is the CEO owner of Simply Through Triton. He also has served as the director of social equity and inclusion for the Marijuana Policy Project and the United States Cannabis Council. And he often refers to himself as Mr. Tabidi, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's me for sure. <laughs> What's going on? So on today, we want to we want to talk about what DEI is in the cannabis field and what DEI is in general. Um, so from your experience and from your background, can you explain to us what DEI is? Sure. Um, so DEI, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I won't give a textbook definition, but I, I like to make things simple. Um, mm-hmm. Diversity. Um, diversity is, you know, making sure that you have all types of people, right? Um, you know, that, that's talking about, you know, diversity as in male, female, um, gender, um, sex, orientation, all those things, you know, um, diversity makes us stronger, um, because you have a, you have multiple different opinions, um, insights of all different people. Um, equity um, is trying to make sure that um, that all people can be a part of the conversation, even those that typically may not have a voice. Um, a lot of my focus has been on racial equity um, mm-hmm. because minorities, um, I guess, not only in cannabis and, and the country have been, you know, typically disenfranchised. Um, but in cannabis, we see um where we have, again, a multi-billion dollar industry, um, $26 billion in sales last year, but African-Americans own less than 2% of it, while being four times more likely to be arrested for cannabis. Um, so trying to, um, trying to have, a, an, as we build an industry, make sure that those folks are included. Um, inclusion, um, as, as I've ended the last sentence with inclusion, um, again, is... Um, Again, equity is like making sure those those groups that are that that are typically disenfranchised are a part of it and have have, have part ownership. And the inclusion is making sure that again, all those folks are that everybody's included in the conversation. But inclusion is not just allowing you to come to the party, right? I think right. inclusion is when you're actually welcomed, you're given opportunity. Um, so in, in short, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, is really work to try to make sure that, like I said, everybody has an opportunity and then everybody can be thriving and everybody can, um, and those, and I think it benefits people, it benefits everybody on all sides of the equation because we're all stronger and, and learn together. And again, in cannabis, some of those statistics, like I said, the work that I've been around has been about opening those opportunities um, try, and try to make sure that that's done, um, not only in policy, um, but then also actually in practice, um, you know, business, business and, you know, like both sides of the coin. Hope I hope I answered that right. Right, right. Which goes right into it. The business Beyond the Blunt is a platform that highlights and spotlights the industry, professionals and insular opportunities in the cannabis industry. 
And it really is a discussion on how black and brown people can enter into an industry that has for decades plagued them in a, in a sort of a way um, by not allowing them to an industry that has ruined their lives for pretty much the majority of their years um, as far as the world drugs go. So I love the fact that, you, that you're including everyone is on both sides of the coin. So from your experience on the ancillary side of things, what do you what do you see as the, uh, a way for black and brown people to get into the industry? Um, <clears throat> well, I, I think in terms of ancillary, um, it really is that there's a whole ecosystem that exists in cannabis um, in terms of goods and services. Um, whether that's been and like some of the people that I've had to deal with over the past couple of weeks <clears throat> have been attorneys, um, contractors, um, marketing folks, all types of communications, technology, um, and a lot of them are cannabis specific folks. So <clears throat> as this industry grows, you can develop a niche. And what, if you already have one of these types of specialties to get into the industry, um, some of the benefits of that are. Um, you don't have as many regulatory hurdles. There's not as much scarcity as like applying right. for a license. Um, but then also you can learn. I've actually been working in the ancillary cannabis industry for the past four years. And I, that experience that I've had wearing a number of different hats has been the best experience to prepare me for where I am now. Um, so I would say that's a huge benefit. Um, regardless of what your expertise is, Given what cannabis is like, what cannabis is is in the economy and like this whole new market opening up, I would be trying to figure out how you can apply those skills to this in some way, type, or form, regardless of what you do. Right, right. So that means all of those professional type jobs are still needed because it's still a regular industry. Well, it has to be treated like it's a regular industry, like every other industry. Um, like everyone will still need those exact same things. So let me ask you this: Why? Or what does DEI look like in cannabis and why is it Um So in cannabis, um, I think that, again, I think that what it, what it, what it currently looks like, I think is not, um, there, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of work to be done, right? Um, I think what the, what it, what it would look like is that, that we would, there would be ownership from, you know, from the communities that have been most harmed by the war on drugs, as we talk about cannabis specifically. Um, so I know that black black folks, Latino folks, um, you know, in our communities, they've been policing us for years. I think it's very important that as we have cannabis businesses and shout out to many new states that are actually doing the work um, to achieve it. Like I'm super proud of New Jersey. <clears throat> Um, myself, a lot of other advocates were super active in trying to make sure that we had an equitable market. Um, and now I'm sitting here inside my dispensary um, across the bridge in New York. Um, a lot of work the same way, like black and brown people being awarded licenses. And so, you know, I think the future, I'm definitely hopeful for what the future looks like, because as it seems like people are starting to understand. And it's even completely different from when I first started and got into this in 2018. Like people were starting to talk about social equity, but it was kind of like a, um, you know, kind of like a side thing. It really, it really wasn't, and it, it, it wasn't an action, right? Like, um, so, you know, it, it just really is a, 
a it's, it's, it's a bit we've already come a long way in these couple of years and like i said there's still a long way to go but I, i'm i'm confident and i'm hopeful so you, so you just touched on two key things um what do you believe or what do you believe the ideal equitable market industry should look like or does it yeah um so one of the most important things is low barriers to entry um for example um using my personal experience here now in New Jersey um to apply for the license this time around 2022 um the application fee my application fee was $200 if somebody was a micro they could be as low as $100 in 2019 to apply for a license it was $20,000 so imagine paying $200 versus $20,000, right? So low barriers to entry. Um, in terms of those barriers to entry, real estate can be another one of those. Um, the, you know, before you were, a lot of times you're required to have property versus this time around, um, you weren't required to have properties to submit an application. And that actually, you know, allows more people to submit and, you know, be approved because when it comes to trying to buy real estate, and cannabis being federally illegal, you can't use a mortgage to purchase a property. Um, you know, it's, it can be hard to lease up, find the type of real estate. So allowing people to not have to pay money for real estate in advance to apply removed another huge barrier to entry. Um, so that was another um, that was another important thing. Um, not having caps on licenses is another um, another another thing that makes a big difference, right? Like there are, if there's limited opportunities, if you know, you have multiple people vying for five licenses or this is really how it is. Like in 2019 in Maryland, when I applied, there was four cultivation licenses, 10 processing licenses. So you have all these people vying for this limited opportunity. How are we going to create equity really in a broad way when there's a, a limited opportunity and people that can take advantage of that? Um, Another thing that's important is, so now when we talk about cannabis and the revenue that's going to be created from it, and we have these businesses, right? Like, where's that money going to go? Um, I mean, where's it going to go? The, the tax revenue, we're talking about millions of dollars being made in the state, billions of dollars being made, like that money going back to those same communities that were being over-policed, um, that have been really harmed by the war on drugs is, is essential. Um but then also on that same note is people from those same communities being able to own businesses. So people um, that have had previous cannabis charges. Um, and again, those same um, minority groups that haven't had opportunities to, um, you know, typically be a part of the business, but especially the ones that have been, um, you know, you know, had to face, had to face this in their community should all be a part of it. Um, those are kind of some of the, you know, kind of some of the keys, um, heck, access, access to capital to help people get started, business training, education, um, you know, technical, technical training, like the basics opening, because not only are you opening a business, like a, a highly regulated business. So there's, there's this all set of challenges with that, but just a business in general. So making sure people can be educated to be prepared for the opportunity. Um, all of those are, um, part of it, but then even not just ownership, um, but even um, like a, even a seat, even a seat at the table, right? Even a a company going back to diversity and the value of it, and that was part of what I wanted to accomplish with the internship program was 
having having people of color, minorities, diverse people, women, all of that stuff, even as a part of other corporations, because it's not exclusive where, oh, only a minority company is focused on, you know, social equity or diversity and minority issues where it, it benefits us all and we're all focused on. Um, so that, you know, that's kind of the goal. Right. So so we keep, we keep going around this term social Social equity, social equity, social equity. What is social equity? We uh, know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, again, another plain and um, plain and simple um, definition as it as it applies to cannabis. So, social equity in cannabis is is ensuring that people who are, you know, from those communities that have been most harmed by the war on drugs have opportunities to participate in and benefit, um, you know, from cannabis legalization, um, from an ownership aspect, from a community repair aspect, from a health equity aspect, um, you know, in a lot of different ways. It's, it's now taken that this cannabis legalization that has been a tool of harm, like cannabis, pro, where cannabis prohibition was a tool of harm, replacing that um, with opportunity um, you know, with the new legalization and industry that's being built in cannabis. So with that, and that would go to further, to further better the surrounding communities and those actually, correct? Absolutely. Amen. So to play devil's advocate, what if, what if that happens and someone says we're now giving certain convict licenses to go run business? How do you, what is your your thoughts on that and those who Um, well, I think that is um for one, um making sure that people can be again being be prepared for the opportunity is essential. Um so making sure that we have a system to um have we have a system to help train and prepare them. But two, um we're talking about people, especially as we talk about cannabis prohibition, people who may have charges or you know, a record or something for something that should have never been illegal in the first place. Um, so that's that's kind of the answer to that, um, right? I think we can agree that, especially with what's known out there now, um, the, what we've been told or a lot of us, what we know about cannabis has been a lie. Um, and it, the fact that cannabis was illegal in the first place is built on racism. Um, and so as, as we're starting to learn and wake up, um, yeah, I mean the fact that it was the fact that somebody may be uh, uh, have a, have a previous record for cannabis shouldn't be something that disqualify them for anything. It should, again, it should, they shouldn't have had that in the first place. Right, 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 right. I totally agree. And from just from the, the thoughts that we've been hearing, is that advocacy is so important. Um, could you speak on some of the advocacy work that you do? Yeah. So first, I'll say. Um, you know, if, if you're not a part of the conversation, um, you know, the is, is going to be had, right? The conversation is going to be had. So it's important to, to be knowledgeable of what's going on to be able to provide your input. Um, and so a lot of my work has been, um, really centered on trying to, um, trying to accomplish that to try to make sure that, um, that we can have a voice, um, and policy that's being made at the state and federal level. Um, that we can have representation um, across the cannabis industry within organizations, within companies, within ownership, um, that people can be educated, both 
um, people in the industry um, on how diversity can be of value. Um, but then folks outside the industry on the opportunity that exists within cannabis. Um, and I think also in advocacy, um, I mean, being an ambassador um, of kind of, um, you know, showing what can, again, just showing people what can be possible when you give folks opportunities and allow to open up the door and, and like what we can achieve and what we can do. Um, and again, it's, it's been a number of different ways, like I said, the policy side and um, but I, I, for me, I think it's been it's been a career of service um, where like I've always just wanted to make a difference and hope that all these little things add up. Um, and they've made an impact, whether it's been I mean, one of the advocacy, I guess, go to answer the question even deeper. One of the biggest things that I've that I've always loved to do and always wanted to do is have conversations around cannabis in places where. It never would exist because it opens up the opportunity and more people know about it. And I've been able to do that at places like, again, like having the Congressional Black Caucus involved in the conversation, African-American Mayors Association, places like National Society of Black Engineers and um, man, like oh, the, it goes on and on. It's, it, it, when I think about it, the list has been like longer than I could than I could think about. Um, but it's been, like I said, again, having this conversation and normalizing it. And also helping our community to understand how, like where this is going and how we now need to get on a train to use cannabis as a tool to repair everything that is harmed, um, like over the past time is kind of what I would, uh, that's, that's kind of been my work in a, like in a nutshell. Right, right. Which I commend you for. Like I really, really do. Because well, like I said earlier, if you have to start doing that work, I probably would, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now and have the opportunity to have done it. Um, so I do thank you again for that. Um, and for this, we're really about the barriers to entry somewhat in the capital. Um, do you believe, well, how do you think that the safe passing of the Safe Banking Act at some point in time will affect that? Absolutely. Um, and this is my, this is my personal opinion. Um, and I have this opinion because um, so for one, previous I spent, um, man, I spent over ten years working in finance, right? Um, as a as a banker, as a bank manager, as a financial advisor, um, and all of that time being specifically focused on financial literacy, trying to educate our communities, trying to help our communities. Um, so for one. Um, I think more than anybody, I'm aware of the disparity that exists um, in Black folks' access to the banking system in general. Um, but I'll say also, more than most now as a cannabis business owner or somebody that's opening up this, who's had to raise capital for a cannabis business that has to pay all different types of, I mean, that has to do actual transactions as a cannabis business. Um, you know, the thing about, you know, all the, the things that are going to come from, you know, taking payments just last week, a lot of dispensary stuff was shut down. Um, passing, passing, having access to banking will definitely improve the situation for black business owners. And I'll tell you why. And although some people don't believe it, if we have some access to the banking system at all, it will help. When you go out and try to raise capital from like private investors or the people that are out there and there's not a lot of options, most of the people are trying to figure out how to take your company 
and control of the company because you don't, I mean, you don't have any, you know, there's not really many other choices but to swim with the sharks. So especially our entrepreneurs that are less, that have less, um, right? So like when you look at um, minority communities, we have like less than one-tenth the wealth of our white counterparts. So having to go out uh, and less access to private equity, investment, bankers, all that stuff. So so now if you want to start a cannabis business, you have to go and deal with that. Um, if you want to start a business, how is that going to help us to be successful? Um, right. And then also all the existing cannabis business owners have to go, minority business owners have to go through all the challenges to do business. Um, so I think having some, having access to the banking system will allow the opportunity for loans for a business loan. Like if you want to go to, uh, you know, if you want to, um, you know, if you need a loan for your business to raise capital, um, to be able to do banking transactions and not have to go through all different types, you know, all different types of things. So that was a long answer to say that I think, I think, yes. And even though, um, you know, having access to all the things that other small businesses and programs that, and lending and funding that, that having access to banking opens up, that opens up a whole nother set of opportunities. Um, I believe, um, so and also the banking bill that we have now with this restorative justice elements like expungements um, and things like that, you know, it has some reparative elements to it. So um, I'm of the camp that I think that um, that this incremental progress, like having banking, does a lot for people. We still need full legalization. We still need to free everybody that's been arrested for cannabis, but for Cannabis business owners, African-Americans in the industry included, um, banking helps and goes a long way. Thank you. Thank you for those kind, for those words. So just to go ahead and wrap it up, what's next for Tahir? What, what, what is on his plan? What is, what is in the works? <laughs> well, next up, man, we're going to get this dispensary open. Um in the final stages, trying to check all the boxes. Um, you know, we, we submit our conversion application. So I'm hoping that we can be open in March. Fingers crossed, you know, in advance of 420, trying to have an amazing grand opening. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, keep doing the work, man. Like I said, now, um, you know, show people an example that it, that it can be done and try to keep opening up doors for more people. And, um, Man, I, I want to have the best dispensary in New Jersey, the best in the country, come, coming for everybody, coming for y'all. <laughs> Tell us again, where is the dispensary? Yes, yes. So everybody, you can come visit Simply Pure Trenton. Um, we are in Ewing, New Jersey. Um, also, shout out to my boy, John Dockery, um, with the Simply Pure Downtown Trenton. Um, location, that's my boy since preschool. We both um, went to the first 11. Um, dispensary licenses here in New Jersey. Um, and of course, um, shout out to the big homie Wanda James out there in Simply Pure, the mother in Colorado. So you can make sure y'all come to Simply Pure Trend, but visit all the Simply Pure fam. You know? That is good. Where can we find you at on social media if you want to get in contact with? How can they reach out to For sure, man. So on LinkedIn and Facebook, you can find me by the government name, Tahir Johnson. And it's Ty Diddy everywhere else. The the Twitter, the IG, even TikTok, man. I don't really TikTok like that, but it's Ty Diddy on there too. (laughs) 
But ladies and gentlemen, there we have it. Mr. Tahiti himself, Mr. Tahir Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. My brother. Appreciate it. Peace.